You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Hurricane Harvey's record breaking flooding is prompting Houston officials to plan for the opening of several more mega shelters to accommodate evacuees. The unprecedented flooding has driven thousands of people from their homes, particularly in the Houston area, where two dams are now overflowing. At least 16 people have died, and that number is expected to rise. Some bridges and roads are said to be buckling under the stress, and experts say it could take Houston years to fully recover. Here's Aaron MacArthur. People are being plucked off rooftops, pulled from windows, and ferried to safety any way rescuers could get them there. We're going to be here until the last person leaves. One more. One more. Thousands of people have been saved from the rising floodwaters in Houston. Who knows how many more are waiting? Absolutely scary. It was pretty terrifying, I must admit, watching that water come up, come in, and keep coming up. We don't have anything. You know, we lost everything in our apartment. The first floor is flooded. Um, we moved a bunch of stuff upstairs. Houston has been pummeled by rain. Nearly a meter and a half has already fallen. 12,000 National Guardsmen have been deployed. But a bulk of the rescues are being done by civilians using anything that floats. All the flooding I've seen in all the years is the craziest thing I've ever seen. The Houston Convention Center has been outfitted for 5,000 evacuees. There are 9,000 here already. Estimates suggest 450,000 people have been affected by the flooding. Recovery will take months. This is going to be a very long event. You're going to get frustrated, you're going to be tired, your routine is going to be, is going to be disrupted for weeks. The U.S. President and the First Lady arrived in Texas Tuesday to survey the damage. Donald Trump meeting with the governor and disaster relief officials, promising a better federal response than past disasters like Katrina. We want to do it better than ever before. We want to be looked at in five years and ten years from now as this is the way to do it. Up to 50 more centimeters of rain is in the forecast as Hurricane Harvey has stalled on the southeast coast of Texas. Levees are stretched to their capacity. The worst is far from over. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And Global's Reed Feist is in Houston for us tonight. Uh, with a new development, Reed, Houston's mayor has now imposed a curfew. Yeah, hi, Sophie. As the sun goes down here in Houston, Texas, yeah, there is a, a curfew that will come into place in a couple of hours at 10 p.m. local time until 5 a.m. tomorrow. The mayor enacted that curfew just a few hours ago, saying that they really want to get people off of the streets and another point to avoid any looting. There hasn't been huge widespread concerns about looting, but that is definitely one of the aims of this curfew. We'll have to see if it stays in place over the next couple of days. Of course, so many parts of this uh, city are underwater. Today we were out with rescue crews. These are people that have uh, driven in their own boats uh, from different parts of Houston, different parts of Texas, and they're giving their own time, uh, their own gas, etc. And they're going door to door doing uh, some of the work that first responders are doing. We talked uh, to some of them about how dangerous some of the work is to get people out and also how people are reacting to seeing the devastation throughout this city. I said, I've lived here all my life. Um, I'm a Houstonian. I've been through tons of floods. And this is just the worst we've ever seen here. It's just massive, massive devastation. 
some of the most dangerous water I've ever seen in my life. It's like class four rapids running through this town. Mm. Emotional time. Uh, you know, if having a boat is one thing, Reed, but how difficult is it to get around? Well, it's super tough, Sophie, and that's even hampering the uh, the, uh, the responders and those volunteers. They want to get to different communities that are probably worse off, but they simply can't uh, because of roads like you see behind me. They're, they're water covered. They are hoping, though, some will go down. This one has gone down, and you can see right now there is no rain right now in Houston, and uh, officials are hoping that that will continue and that hopefully some of uh, these flooding spots will clear up, Sophie. And obviously uh, not the entire city underwater, uh, Reed. So what is life like there for those who are not flooded out? Yeah, it's tough. Lots of people feel really stranded in their homes. They've been told to stay put in their homes if they're safe. But, uh, you know, the gas stations in their communities uh, may be running out of gas. The grocery stores, there's a couple of them. We were in one today and there's not a lot of fresh produce running out. Um, so life is not good, but you know, I think they realize that they're some of the lucky ones. So many of their neighbors in this huge city, it's very widespread, very sprawled, um, you know, are being affected by these high waters. And so they know they're lucky um, as so many else um, don't have a home to go to. Sophie? All right. Thanks for that. Reed Feist and our crew in Houston for us tonight. Members of a Surrey family who had plans to board a cruise out of Galveston, Texas, are now holed up in a Houston hotel. They went there after their cruise was cancelled, only to become stranded again. Jeff Hastings spoke to the family about how they're making the best out of this difficult situation. Galveston, Texas was supposed to be the summer vacation launch point for a family from Surrey, B.C., but their Caribbean cruise was cancelled. Hurricane Harvey simply too powerful for ships to make port. The sea turned dark, uh, the waves definitely picked up, and then by noon the wind really started to blow, and then we knew we were in for it. They made the best of it, riding out the storm, venturing out when they could, eventually making a break hours north to Houston and a flight home. The whole way, their mobile phones buzzing with storm warnings, they could see tornadoes. It was really cool, but... Um really worrying because you don't know if they're if a tornado is just going to form right where you are but harvey wasn't done with houston now a tropical storm installed over the city drowning it they find the airport closed now they're trapped in a hotel as boats buzz by on the highway it's kind of cool watching it because i've never actually experienced it before but it is scary most of the hotel staff have fled, leaving 50 or so guests to fend for themselves. Danny has taken over the kitchen. We started uh, two meals a day only, no three, not off by the menu. You get what you get. Not how they envision their vacation, fleeing rising water, a flooded rental car. Watching swamp boats go by while trapped in a hotel with strangers, wondering if they made the right choices. We hear that more floods are coming. Should we try and go one of these evacuation routes in the car? Danny has spoken to the Canadian consulate in Texas. They've offered to help him, but so far the family doesn't need it. We have spoken to Global Affairs Canada today, and they haven't been able to tell us just how many Canadians are affected by the floods in Texas. Jeff Hastings, Global News, Vancouver. Now, here at home, we are on the opposite end of the weather spectrum. Metro Vancouver receiving less than half the usual amount of rain seen during the summer months. Our Ted Chernecki is live with more on the impacts of our dry summers and the bright side of this. Ted. 
Yeah, bright indeed. We've had wall-to-wall uh, -wall sunshine now for about two and a half months, and it has been warm. Now, you'd think because of that, we'd be experiencing near drought conditions like we did in 2015, a similar summer, but we are not. We all know how some gardeners talk to their plants, but it's so dry, some plants appear to be talking back. They were screaming. They were screaming. I could hear them. Water me. <laughs> Water me. Water Feed me. We've had virtually no rain since the summer solstice, June 20th. Just a smattering here and there for a couple of days. You can see the consequences everywhere. The so-called golden lawns. And all those leaves left barely hanging on, waiting to join the thousands of those already fallen down below. This week, the park board made a call to arms. Grab your garden hose, put it into the gator, and, and uh, once a week is going to help out big time. Here's the Cleveland Dam when the Capilano Reservoir is overflowing. And here it is today. But this is what it should be looking like at this time of the year. And in fact, all of the lower mainland reservoirs are in surprisingly good shape. 61% of, of our reservoirs are their full. So we're in good standing uh, for this time of year, despite the long, dry summers that we've had. Think back two years. The summer of 2015 was similar, but the difference is, then thirsty lower mainlanders drove the water restriction level to three. This year, we never passed level one. We know we've started stage one a bit earlier, and we've done more advertising to let people know we have to really take care of our precious resource, the water. So they may not be worried too much about this behind me right now, but Metro Vancouver increasingly is worried about these extreme weather events uh, like Houston because they're saying even in a rainforest, there's no way we could absorb that kind of rainfall here. So preparations are underway to somehow deal with that because we expect Pacific Northwest storms to probably increase in intensity as well. And on the flip side, they're even preparing for even extended more, longer drought sessions here because there's even uh, some consideration going on about raising the Seymour Dam to increase our water supply. Either way, it's going to cost billions. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Ted. Trinecki reporting tonight. A new air quality advisory is also in effect now. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joining us with those details. Christy. Thanks, Sophie. Yes, it was issued uh, just last night as the smoke started to creep in through the Fraser Valley first, and now it has spread right across Metro Vancouver. And what's interesting is this smoke, or the majority of it anyways, isn't from the interior fires. Instead, it's coming from fires in the U.S. Northwest, all the way as far south as Southern California. And we're seeing that right up into our area. Now, the good news is we're going to see a big change in our weather pattern tomorrow with more onshore flow. I think you can expect the majority of that smoke to clear at least by the end of the day. All right. Thanks, Christy. Breaking news now near the B.C.-Alberta border. A serious crash on Highway 1 brought traffic to a standstill in both directions late this afternoon. It happened just west of Field. Witnesses telling Global News it involved an RV and a transport truck. And there are reports of fatalities. But at this point, none has been confirmed. The highway reopened just a short time ago. And a large vehicle fire broke out on the Coquihalla Highway this morning. Time-lapse video from the Drive BC website shows the rig going up in smoke at around 8.30 a.m. just north of Hope. The truck was carrying forest products at the time. No word on what might have caused that fire. 
And this three alarm fire breaking out at a furniture warehouse in Newton. It happened at around one this afternoon in the area of 72nd and 133rd. Witnesses say it broke out at the back of the deluxe solid oak furniture store. There's no word on how it started and the extent of the damage is not yet known. One person has been arrested in connection with a drug-related search warrant executed in Vancouver's Olympic Village. A heavy police presence seen at an apartment near Columbia Street and First Avenue just after four yesterday afternoon. Vancouver Fire and Rescue also called in to assist when officers observed unknown substances in the suite. Police were back at the scene today collecting evidence. Residents in the surrounding area have not been evacuated, but two officers who were involved in the original search did go to hospital. Um, they did feel a little lightheaded, and it could have been from any number of things. So as a precaution, uh, they went to the hospital, and they were released without any treatment. The investigation is ongoing. Well, separating recycling materials can sometimes be confusing, but the amount of contamination seen in Surrey has prompted an audit of residential recycling bins. John Hua explains just how bad the problem is and the penalties offenders could face. John. Well, here in the city of Surrey, people are coming out to the curb to find stickers like this one on their blue bin. And according to city staff, it's a message saying they need to do better. Bernadette Novak knows what goes into her blue bin. Well, I think it's pretty important because they're going to have to live in the garbage if we don't take care of it now. But some of her neighbours in Surrey are getting the message another way. These stickers part of a citywide audit targeting those who are tossing the wrong things into recycling. There's some lazy people out there. You know, there's some people that just really don't care. Um, and then there's people that just don't know. Well, some people that got the sticker say it was just an honest mistake. When I drop or my son drops, they forgot which one it's good. Others feel the city is trying to shame them into compliance. We're here to work with you. We're certainly not here to shame you. And if there are any issues whatsoever in that regard, you know, we'll rethink our approach and strategy. And when it comes to things that should not be going into the blue box, the city of Surrey has a contamination ratio of about 10 to 12 percent. That includes everything from PVC pipe, frying pans, even propane tanks. And the city says, according to its contract, it needs to get that contamination number down to about 3 percent or face a fine of $240,000 a year. Potentially that contract may not be renewed. So we want to ensure that we protect that for the best interest of our residents and for the environment. Part of that contract includes Recycle BC covering Surrey's cost for both collection and processing. Currently, uh, that translates to a savings of approximately $60 per household per year. The city says it will boost its educational campaign to help curb any confusion. But for those who don't get the message, their house might be missed next collection day. Now, according to Recycle BC, even though their contract stipulates a contamination percentage of only 3%, the provincial average is about 7%. And they say they have yet to dole out any fines. Sophie? John Hua in Surrey tonight. The man behind the killings of his own mother and grandmother was up for parole today. Darren Huneman was found guilty 25 years ago of being the mastermind in the murders. Today, he sought freedom before a parole board as members of his family watched. Why they say he should never get out in just over a minute. 
Cannabis for canines. Can pot help man's best friend with certain ailments? Some marijuana dispensaries think so. What pet owners need to know coming up. And as supernatural BC as it gets, a kayaker's unbelievably close encounter with a pod of orcas. Those stories later on the news hour. Well, the architect of two of the most brutal murders in BC history went before a parole board today asking to be released from prison. Back in 1992, 18-year-old Darren Huneman, who's now changed his name to Gowan, was convicted of first-degree murder along with the two high school friends he hired to kill his own mother and grandmother. Grace Key reports on today's hearing. Sharon Huneman and her mother, Doris Leatherbarrow, were brutally murdered in their Tawasson home back in 1990. Sharon's own son, Darren Gowan, was the mastermind, hiring two 17-year-old classmates to carry out the plot for the inheritance money. All three were convicted of first-degree murder. The family, even though Darren is part family, they're adamant they don't want Darren to have any privilege of parole. Doris's brother-in-law and sister were in Matsqui Prison in Abbotsford to attend via video live stream Darren's parole board hearing from his Quebec prison. He was applying for temporary escorted absences, and the last time they saw Darren was 26 years ago. He was just 18 years old. He's a different type of a person, and, and I guess don't forget that's a long time ago. I gotten old and then I don't look the same so. They say it was difficult to hear Darren's explanation for the murders and they don't believe he's remorseful. Why did you kill your mother and grandmother? Yeah. Okay with the explanation and a lot of crying and sobbing and primarily money and he tried to say that uh, Sharon was an overbearing parent. That should give it you have the right to kill your mother? In the end, Darren was denied parole. As for accomplice David Muir, he was released more than a decade ago. And Derek Lord will be having a parole board hearing next month. They will be there for Lord's hearing as well, despite the painful process. And you hear it all over again and over again and over again. You know, so the hurt doesn't go away. Grace Key, Global News. The surprise of a lifetime for a Vancouver victim of the terror attacks in Barcelona. How that city's soccer team rallied to leave the teenager with a positive memory after he lost his grandfather. And a look inside the cloud break in Victoria. Right now, what it'll cost you for a week on this luxury yacht. The official unveiling today of a B.C. mega project that hasn't had a lot of attention outside of northern B.C. Nitu Garcha was on hand for the official opening ceremony of what is now Canada's second largest container facility in Prince Rupert. The sun is shining in the so-called rainiest city in Canada for a milestone that promises a bright future for Prince Rupert. It's been great peace of mind for my future. The Fairview Container Terminal cutting the ribbon. On its massive expansion, a new berth and three new cranes. A huge economic spin-off, $35 billion annually of trade moves through this port. 
and $5 billion of exports. Port officials say the expansion means this terminal's capacity is now 1.35 million TEUs annually. In other words, 1.35 million shipping containers like those behind me. And it's now able to service the world's largest container ships. This community and this port was on its knees economically, and there was a lot of talk about who was going to be the last person to leave town and, and shut the lights out. And today, this is a vibrant economy. When it opened 10 years ago, it was the first dedicated ship-to-rail container terminal in North America. It opens up a corridor in the north for an opportunity to extract our resources and export them. And with that in mind, it also creates tax revenue and dollars for us as a province. Prince Rupert's geography on BC's north coast makes it the continent's closest port to Asia, with potential to save up to three sailing days over other big port facilities like Vancouver and LA. We're already planning phase three to 2.5 million TEUs. We will be nipping at the heels of the port of Vancouver. A historic time for a once sinking community. I know a lot of friends had to leave that were here working, went down to the lower mainland to work because they had no other choice. For me, I'm always going to stay here in Rupert. And I'm happy I did. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Prince Rupert. A blast from the past in Vancouver's West End this morning. A fully restored 1929 fire truck called the Bickle Pumper returned to Fire Hall 6. 66 years after it was retired. That truck cost $15,000 brand new and was the largest fire truck in Canada when the West End was more houses than high rises. Collector Brian Beard spent two years and an undisclosed amount of cash to bring the Bickle back to its glory. It was a pile of parts. A Vancouver cop had it. He bought it in the 70s sometime and ended up... uh, taking it apart, thinking he was going to restore it, but he never did. Beard is hoping the Bickle will someday be permanently returned to Vancouver Fire and Rescue. A Vancouver teenager who witnessed the Barcelona terror attack that killed his grandfather has received the VIP treatment from the city's soccer team, the once-in-a-lifetime experience posted by the team on social media. 14-year-old Duncan Bates was there when his grandfather, Ian Moore Wilson, died in the attack on Los Rambles. Last week, he was the special guest at the headquarters of FC Barcelona and got to meet the team's players, including superstar Lionel Messi and Ivan Rakitic, Duncan's personal soccer hero. The family had traveled to Barcelona so that Bates could take part in a soccer clinic run by the club. His grandmother insisted that he attend that clinic because that's what his grandfather would have wanted. Enough is enough. Warnings to North Korea after its latest missile launch. The international response and a look inside the command center where they're preparing for the worst. Plus, dogs and dope. The Vancouver dispensary offering cannabis to canines. Next. A growing international storm tonight over the latest provocation from North Korea. The rogue nation and its unpredictable dictator firing a missile over Japan and not showing any signs of backing down in the face of world condemnation. North Korea tonight released images of its leader happily overseeing the regime's latest missile launch. A launch that triggered warnings in Japan. Alarms and text alerts telling people to take cover. The ballistic missile traveling 1,500 miles over the Japanese island of Hokkaido, a 14-minute journey into the Pacific Ocean. 
Kim Jong-un's provocation, prompting an emergency meeting of the UN Security Council. I think enough is enough. Japan's prime minister calling it an unprecedented threat. And a rebuke from President Trump, who said all options are on the table. But when pressed how the U.S. would respond. But the U.S. has been preparing for an even bigger danger than a missile test. We're now heading to a secure bunker. It's carved right into the heart of a mountain outside Seoul. And if North Korea ever were to attack, U.S. and South Korean forces could continue to operate from here. It's a place of last resort. Got to be able to command and control various units on the Korean Peninsula. Colonel Chad Carroll giving us rare access to what is effectively the doomsday bunker military commanders would use to survive an assault and launch a counteroffensive. A lot of people work here. Enough to get the job done. U.S. and South Korean war planners expect the North would use chemical weapons, so they may have to stay in here for a long time. And in here today, training on how to repel an all-out invasion from North Korea's massive army. Caught on surveillance video in southeast China, a terrifying experience for a woman in a subway station. As she heads toward an escalator, a floor panel suddenly gives way underneath her. A number of people scramble to pull her out of the deep hole that she'd fallen into. Thankfully, she wasn't badly hurt. Needless to say, an investigation is now underway. A new twist in the growing medicinal marijuana sector has some veterinarians urging pet owners to be careful. As Nadia Stewart reports, some dispensaries are touting the benefits of pot for dogs, despite a lack of any scientific evidence to back it up. Right, so puppy go. At this Vancouver dog park, owners are at odds when it comes to cannabis for canines. I'm not surprised it will help dogs, but only the dogs really need it, right? Majority of the dogs don't. You know, unless it's really been studied, you don't know what else it's doing. That's the problem. But even in the absence of scientific evidence, there is a growing clientele base. It's a good one that you can just break up into the dog's food. Sometimes taking the treat or whatever doesn't quite work all the time. The Especially at Kitsilano's Apollo Medical Center. There are two options here, hemp treats or cannabidiol, better known as CBD. These pills do not contain THC, the other key ingredient in cannabis known to be harmful to animals. The operations manager says reviews have been mixed. We've had dogs come in that, uh, you know, they can't walk. The owners have to uh, carry them in. And then after, you know, a month of administering the treats or the oils, the dogs have been walking in here. They go up the stairs. But on that same token, we also have had dog owners who've come in and said it, it hasn't worked whatsoever. Most of what he and others point to is anecdotal evidence and admits research is limited. An observation echoed by the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association in a 2016 editorial. Dr. Adrian Walton says some articles have been published in European medical journals. But the problem with it is, is they're in journals that I don't have access to or they're of questionable authenticity. I have absolutely nothing in the veterinary uh, research that allows me to be able to guide my patients one way or the other. And as for dog owners, there are even more questions. What if they're doing it for two years or three years or five years? You know, what effect is that going to have on their physiology? The unknown, not stopping many owners from taking a chance. At this dispensary alone, cannabis for dogs accounts for up to 50% of all sales. Not historic global news. Supernatural BC caught on camera. Once in a lifetime. Never will happen again. Why it's not exactly the close-up it appears to be. Up next.
And later, the food of the future being fried up at the PNE. We'll think these photographs of an orca encounter near Courtney are amazing. Wait till you see the video that goes along with. That's right after Christie's forecast. And let's head down to the PNE now, where Christie is standing by with a look at another hot few days ahead of us, Christie. Well, Sophie, actually the heat is going to ease off a bit in the couple of days, in the next couple of days. Uh, today, certainly the hottest uh, that we've seen. We broke a record at the um, Vancouver Harbour Station, which is near downtown Vancouver. We hit 30 degrees there today. That broke a record uh, set back in 1967 at 28.9 degrees. So we blew past that by more than a degree. And very, very hot. Now, when we look at the temperatures across the lower mainland and Fraser Valley, the feels like is what you see on the left. That's a Humidex in red. 35 degrees was the Humidex rating out in the Fraser Valley and downtown Vancouver, 33. It was a scorcher. And then we also saw all of that smoke today so it was a pretty stuffy day but we're going to see a massive change as the front pushes in across the region that means cooler conditions and cloud for the coast the problem is it means that we are going to see some gusty winds and a risk of thunderstorms in through the interior so as we've seen over and over again the moisture just does not make its way inland instead we get that risk of thunderstorms and the gusty winds all of the rain expected to fall across the north coast tomorrow inland regions like Prince George and Quinella mix of sun and cloud with a slight risk of a thunderstorm and down through the south dry once again maybe a slight chance of a shower but otherwise you can expect uh, some cloud cover temperatures are going to be a little bit more comfortable tomorrow and you can expect it to be even cooler still on thursday i guess that's somewhat good news uh, a little bit of relief from the heat and certainly across the south coast you can see that here 21 to 25 degrees for metro vancouver now north of nanaimo for vancouver island a chance of showers as you head into uh, tomorrow afternoon. It's only a chance of showers, but otherwise for Metro Vancouver, areas like Victoria, still no rain in the forecast, but tomorrow certainly much more comfortable. And by the way, that air quality advisory, I expect it to end later tomorrow as we start to see this change and that a lot of that smoke should blow out. I want to give a big thanks to Ryan Reynolds and the Deadpool crew for hosting myself and a group of people uh, on the set through the afternoon. They were so welcoming. Now, Ryan donated... Uh, on-set meet-and-greet for the Ronald McDonald House at the Ronald McDonald House Gala. Uh, Karen Wolverton from... um Lush uh, actually purchased the uh, the package, so very generous of Karen and, of course, Ryan as well. So thank you to Ryan and the crew. They were so welcoming. Now, uh, Sophie, this is new to the fair uh, this year. These are mini donuts stacked one on top of the other with icing and then Oreo, crushed up Oreo on top of that. What do you think? Oh, I'm in. I don't Bring- even think I could take a bite of it. Well, You're don't, in? don't you don't have to take a bite of it. You can just save it for me. <laughs> just send it right over. All right. I had the ice cream earlier, so I'll save this one for you. Okay. Thanks, my friend. <laughs> well, social media is full of amazing images of close encounters with wildlife, but these pictures here are right up there at the top of the list. Comox Valley resident Ken Heinrich and his daughters were kayaking near Courtney when a pod of orcas put on a show just for them. Tanya Beja has the story. 
Ken Heinrich and his daughters grabbed their cameras the minute they spotted transient killer whales off the coast. Where we are, it's very shallow, so you know they're really quite far off the beach. So we got in our kayaks and uh, got into the water and headed um, in the general direction of, of where they were. They paddled out to the orcas, careful to stay 100 meters away. It was it was spectacular. Uh, I mean, as you're aware, there's certain rules and regulations with respect to whale watching, and we were adhering to those. And uh, next thing you know, they are coming towards where we are, and uh, we were watching them do their thing, and, and it was just, it was, it was so amazing. And then next thing we know, uh, they were all underwater, and you don't know where they are. Oh my goodness, my heart. Heinrich's brush with wildlife made for stunning images. Pictures, he says, that give a false impression. And it looks, and the pictures as well, it looks like they're, they were close, but it's not as close as, as some people are thinking. I mean, I was on a full zoom on my video and my daughter was using a big telephoto lens. You really lose the depth perspective. Experts say the group of whales, known as T-137, were hunting harbour seals. For observers, staying on shore, the safest course of action. Um, with the hunting activity, if you get in too close, their prey will actually use your boat as a shield. We have seen this before, and that is really putting you at risk for you know either collision with the whales or for getting capsized by the whales. It was closer than, than, I, than I really wanted, and, but the reality is you don't get to choose where the whales swim. Heinrich sharing the video so others can enjoy the experience. Tanya Beja, Global News. Incredible. Well, a super luxury yacht that dwarfs even whales is anchored in B.C. tonight, and it's available for rent. The Cloudbreak is a 72-and-a-half-meter yacht that sleeps up to 12 people comfortably. Might be a bit of an understatement. Along with palatial bedrooms and bathrooms, it includes a helicopter pad, exercise room, sauna, on-deck jacuzzi, and fireplace, of course. It's also fully outfitted with every kind of water toy imaginable. And the rate? <laughs> Just over a million dollars Canadian per week. Oh, <laughs> Excuse me. Have. Plus expenses. You need I, a purser. I'm sure I do. Uh, I can get sick on that thing just as easily as I can get sick in a kayak. But we could fly in a doctor to take care of you. You probably could. Landing you pad. could fly me off and take me back to land. I think we should. But it is a lovely looking boat. The next news hour on the road should be news hour on the cloud break. It's not a bad idea. Right? Yeah. And then, you know what? There That's could be a storm and we get lost on an island and we have a whole new series. That sounds like a good show. Doesn't it sound like a great show? we should show? pitch that. Yeah. And then we'll have this professor guy who will invent everything except a radio. It's very bizarre. Uh, why is a Canadian rugby star taking a shot at the NFL? Opportunities came. I was more open to pursuing something else. North fans Adam Zaruba is still in Philadelphia Eagles camp, hoping to make the cut. And after Squire does the sportscast, he checks out all things buggy at the PNE, including what's on the menu. Did you eat that? No, I did not eat that. Hey. All right. Um, I'm just imagining you eating the crickets and on a ride at the peony. Oh, that would be. Listen, 
I already did my peony thing where I ruined a shirt with chili. Yeah. You were there. I, I don't I need to do anything more, more than that. Successful than you. Um, I'm surprised you didn't take your eye out with that little <laughs> stick. That was impressive. Uh, rain washed out a lot of the matches scheduled for today at the U.S. Open. Among those washed out, Vosik Pospisil of Vancouver and Quebec's Eugenie Bouchard. Uh, the ones that were played under the roof at Arthur Ashe Stadium did go. Rafael Nadal won his first round match in straight sets. But there was another upset on the women's side. Now, last night you had, I guess, kind of an upset. Sharapova knocking out number two, Simona Halep. Today, it was the defending champ on the women's side that got tossed out. Angelique Kerber taking on Naomi Osaka of Japan. Osaka won the first set 6-3. Now, Kerber had a great 2016, but she's been really off in 2017. Had a bad French Open. Coming to the net, Osaka wins the first set 6-3. I love this shot. Just half the court here. Right coming up here. There. No way you're getting that. You're back on the baseline. That was good. And this for the win. Straight set. Osaka is on to round number two, and the defending champ is out. How about Denis Shapovalov? First, the U.S. Open would not give him a wild card, which forced him to play his way into the tournament through a qualifying tournament. But now everything has changed. Tomorrow at about six hour time, Shapovalov will play Joe Willie Songa and they'll play it at Arthur Ashe, the main stadium at the U.S. Open. And a lot of experts think that Shapovalov could pull an upset in this one. It'll be a round two match. Okay, last night, another one of these spectacular grabs by Kevin Pillar. No regard for life or limb. His only concern is the white sphere with the stitches on it. And he goes after it like no other player. He's done this so many times with the Blue Jays. Spectacular grabs. Remember at one time, he was a Vancouver Canadian. Well, the NFL's preseason will end this week. After that, a lot of players will find out if they have made a team or not. One Canadian who's still being given a chance is Adam Zaruba. He was a rugby star for Canada. He went back to his football roots to try out as a tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. He is still with the Eagles, and in many ways, the fact he is still in camp is a huge victory for him. Play action for McLoyne, and a wide open look to Adam Zaruba. This is the first game action football pass Adam Zaruba's hauled in since graduating from North Vancouver's Carson Graham High School back in 2009. A 26-year-old rookie, Zaruba is the ultimate NFL long shot who's trying to crack the Philadelphia Eagles roster. It's always been on the back burner, you know, um, for the last couple of years. Uh, but my focus has been rugby up until now. But, you know, after, after the Olympics, uh, you know, my sort of my scope has been broadened a little bit. And so when opportunities came, I was more open to pursuing something else. And, I mean, this opportunity came and I couldn't say no. So... For the last five years, Aruba's been making his mark on the rugby pitch, starring for a men's seven side. But how he's gone from a rugby standout to a potential NFLer is the stuff movies are made of. Following the rugby seven season, out of the blue, he received a call from a South African agent inquiring if he'd like to give the NFL a shot. Naturally, Adam said yes. The Eagles were intrigued by the size and speed of his six foot five inch frame, so they said yes too. So here we are. How confident are you that you could land a spot on this team? 
Well, I mean, like athletically, I, I know that like I can I can shape up and do it. Um, it's going to be getting into my book and learning learning everything and making sure that I can adapt to all the systems and everything like that. But I'm feeling good. Like every day, just keep getting better and, and we'll see what happens. Zaruba's been putting in 12-hour days at training camp, snagging upwards of 100 balls a day, trying to get up to football speed. It's a lot of catching up to do. Come Saturday, the Eagles will do some serious roster trimming. If he can stick on the practice roster, his next call just might be from Disney. Jay Janwer, Global Sports. Now this is what an exciting young hockey team can do for you. Today it was revealed that where the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors play will change its name. It will no longer be Air Canada Centre, it'll be Scotiabank Arena. The change will happen next July. It's a 20-year deal between Scotiabank and the Maple Leafs and the Raptors. And it's the biggest of any arena in North America. Scotiabank will pay $800 million over 20 years or $40 million per year to put their name on the side of the building. It had been the Air Canada Centre since it opened in 1999, and during that time, the name cost Air Canada only $4 million per year. So Scotiabank really upped the price. Wow. I know, from 4 to 40. It's like a house on the west side of Vancouver. That is crazy. Yeah. All right, thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. And we are keeping an eye on that air quality advisory that's been issued for Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. Residents in BC's interior are also being impacted by the smoky conditions. And Canadian iconic musician Tom Cochran is down at the PE tonight with Red Rider. Cochran's career now spans more than 40 years, if you can believe it. Jay Durant will sit down with him just before he hits the stage at 8.30. And we will have that special inter- interview for you and join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, 40, 40? I know, time oh flies. Goodness. Thank you, Anne. 40 years? Did you bring back dinner for us? From the peony. Oh, do you want a little cricket? I would like you, to try a little cricket. Are you feeling cr- you got a hankering for cricket? We're going to check out the crickets. All right. It's a cricket burger after this. Coming up on ET Canada, Hollywood stars helping out the victims of Hurricane Harvey. Why Taylor Kitsch went over to the dark side for his new thriller and stories from the road from pop stars The Vamps. That is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Sophie. Lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's dinner time, so... It seems fitting. Well, you said you ate an ant once in Colombia? I did, yeah. Yeah, well, I have, uh, bugs have not, I've said it before, I do not like eating anything I can kill with raid. But that's only part of what this story is about. It's all about bugs and the PE, but not all about food and bugs. Oh, you'll, you'll find out. Here we go. There's kind of an insect theme at this year's PE. You can see what bugs would look like if they took a lot of steroids. So we have at uh, this location 19 animatronic insects and they range in everything from a very well-known ladybug to something a little bit more on the uh, interesting side like the orchid mantis. Interesting, yes, and a bit gross. But while these triple XL insects are getting a lot of, wait for it, buzz, pretty much writes itself. The real bug discussion revolves around this so this this is what a 10 pound bag of crickets looks like they're all free range if you can believe it really yeah well we'd hate to have it any other way so these crickets i see in the bag here yeah these are all roasted they are dry roasted they are used on the burger like a condiment a condiment with eyes and legs 
So when you bite in, you get that, that crunch. Do crickets have any taste, really? The crickets themselves, with these ones are barbecue flavor, but they, no, they really don't. I mean, they, they, if you can get over the texture, there's really no, there's no flavor to them. It's pretty gross looking. Yeah, no, I'm not a buck person, so that's not my thing. But it is other people's thing, from first timers to cricket connoisseurs. I used to eat them in Uganda, called sanani. You fry them a little bit of butter, some salt and pepper and lemon on them, lemon juice, delicious. And if that cricket recipe doesn't convince you, how about crickets and french fries? Not bad. Crunchy. High in fiber, protein, calcium, minerals, the superfood of the future. Yeah, I, I don't like the future anymore. <laughs> I'm all about the past.